It's a new day today, a new season, and a new year. And so it's time to start focusing on getting back to the everyday rhythms of life that the holidays so rudely interrupted last week. Almost without thinking, our lives adjust to back to those familiar ruts that we've been in before. The new year has promised so many new things for us, but we don't feel all that different these first nearly 11 hours of 2023. We woke up to our regular morning rituals, got ready for church, and here we are, we made it. However, we are still in this Christmas season. And though the hustle and bustle of preparing for Christmas, the buying of gifts, the wrapping of gifts, preparing feasts, the time with family, traveling, family and friends has passed, we still live in the reality that Christ has come. Yes, it was thousands of years ago, but it still has life-changing effects that reverberate down to us today in 2023. We still think of that precious child in the manger and we're drawn to him. Because he's a baby, and babies are cute, and who doesn't love to hold a baby? But also because of who this child is. God in the flesh, given for us. Last week, we looked at some of the titles that this Christ child was born into from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, saying the government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and everlasting king. Now this morning we're going to continue looking at Isaiah's message towards the end of his book and ponder another prophecy that he's given to us. This one anticipates another coming of Christ, another coming of Christ to bring deliverance to us. I invite you again to open your Bibles to Isaiah 63 as I read verses 7 through 14. And again, if you're able, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. Isaiah chapter 63, verses 7 through 14. Reading in Jesus' name. I shall make mention of the loving kindnesses of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the abundance of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. Then his people remembered the days of old of Moses. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? Who caused his arm to go up, to go at the right hand of Moses? Who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? Who led them through the depths? Like the horse in the wilderness, they did not stumble. As a cattle which go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us in your word and in your truth here today. Lord, give us understanding. Help us to see how these words apply to our lives even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. These are some fitting verses for starting a new year. They begin by looking back and calling to mind the mighty deeds that the Lord has done. We've closed the books on 2022. It's behind us and it's done. We can look back on the year and we can remember the highlights in our families, in our communities, in our congregation as well. 
And it's good to do that. It's good to dwell on the mercies of God and all of the things that God has provided for us, that he has done for us. But more important, to dwell on the mercies of God. And so let's do that for a little bit. Here in this last year, we've gotten some new people who have come. Our family has brought in a new child in this world. That's an exciting thing. Some of you have new grandkids this year, and praise the Lord for that, or marriages, or friends, or families, or different things like that. And we've come to church, and here we've been freely able to gather for worship. We don't have to worry about who's going to see us coming here and are we going to have to pay the consequences for showing up to an illegal church service. We don't have to worry about that. God has been here for us and here comes to meet us here faithfully each and every week. He meets us through his word and through sacrament. We've come here looking for forgiveness and we have received it time and time again. We've grown. We've been God's hands and feet. God has drawn us to himself. And the list can go on and on. The end or beginning of a year invites us to reflect on where we've been. And it's a natural thing for us to do. And this text would be fitting, a fitting text for doing just that. But if that's all that we see here in this text is just a cause to pause and, and reflect on the goodness of God and it's just a simple exercise of sentiment, then we're missing the context. In reality, this is more than just reflecting back on what God has done. This is a desperate plea. It's perhaps more akin to a foxhole prayer than to a New Year's toast. These verses immediately follow a gruesome picture that conveniently our text starts at verse 7, not at verse 1, so we don't have to focus on that. But we're going to go back and look at those verses anyway. It's a picture of one coming from enemy territory, coming out of enemy territory all by himself with his garments soaked in a deep red crimson. And Isaiah asks the question, why does it look like you just got out of the wine press? Why is there grape juice all over you? And the Lord responds in verse 3, he says, I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the peoples there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments." And I stained all my raiment. It's a picture of the Lord, of one man alone, leaving behind him the carnage of war. Behind him, soaked in blood, is this battlefield. And the Lord alone comes out. The enemy is identified here as Edom and Basra. And the Lord speaks in verse 6. He says, I trod down the peoples in my anger, and I made them drunk in my wrath. And I poured out the lifeblood, their lifeblood on the earth. Edom and Basra here aren't named to identify a specific geographic location for us. So if you go to that city, you can't go and say, well, you just wait till what's coming for you. I don't want to visit here because I might be here at the wrong time. That's not what it's given for. Edom and Basra were significant peoples or people groups that were historically against God. They antagonized God's people. They were rebels against God. And so the focal point of this destruction here is against the enemies of God. The point of this text is God will destroy his enemies. We can wipe our brow and we can say, phew, I'm glad that's not me. I'm glad I don't worry about that. I'm glad I, I live in Deshler and not Basra, and so I don't have to worry about this. And go on living our lives as though this passage has nothing to say to us. But keep on reading, friends. Verse 7 of our text 
I shall make mention of the loving kindnesses of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the abundance of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely. So he became their savior, and all their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them in his love, and in his mercy he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. And these are wonderful, wonderful, precious verses for us. Isaiah recounts once again the goodness of God that the Lord has granted them compassion. He has bound himself to these people and he has said, I will be their God, they will be my people, declaring them his own. They became to the Lord the apple of his eye, precious in his sight. After all that the Lord has done for them, has provided for them, had given them and blessed them with, he says, how could they ever turn away? Surely, These are my sons who will not deal falsely. We look at these verses and we say, may it never be. And the Lord says, may it never be. And yet we look back at the Old Testament and we see the rest of the story. We look at our own history. We see Adam and Eve were given everything they could ever have wanted. They literally walked with God side by side in paradise. And it wasn't enough for them. They chose to deal falsely with the Lord and in rushed sin and death through sin. Look at Noah and his family and the amazing events that that God brought them through. For a hundred years, he's building this boat in the middle of a desert. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it starts raining and the earth starts flooding. And God is there sustaining them and, and lifting him up for however long that they are in that ark for a year. And yet, one of the first things that Noah does when he leaves the ark is get drunk. It didn't take too long for them to turn sour against the Lord. And for the Israelites, who were brought out of Egypt, who were fed and sustained in the wilderness, who saw all of the plagues, who got to see their deliverance from the most powerful nation in the world at the time, the priests that were established to minister to their people on behalf of God, and the list goes on. And we look back and and they too have dealt falsely with the Lord. We look back and we say, how could they? But let's bring it up to our modern context. For people today, for you and I who have been given God's word in our own language, those who have been blessed with growing up in a Christian home, who've been blessed with the freedom that this country protects us as we go and gather for worship, who have had the opportunity to hear and to learn the word of God from a very young age, who were baptized, and Christ comes and dwells inside of us, who've had numerous salvation experiences throughout our lifetime, and those who've been through near-death experiences. We've been given so much from the merciful hand of God. Not that he's trying to buy our affection or our allegiance, but because that's simply who he is. That's his goodness. Surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely with me, he says. We can look around us, gathered today at this congregation, we can say the same thing. Surely these are my people, sons who will not deal falsely with me. And you would think, right? You would think it would be the logical, rational thing that, that after all that God has blessed us with, how could we ever turn our backs against him? 
going back to the word, we read the Lord is afflicted in the afflictions of his people. We read about the miraculous ways that he delivered his people from separating the Red Sea through the plagues in, in Egypt as well, providing food and water, eliminating his enemies, calling down fire from heaven. The list goes on and on. The Lord knows the affliction of his people because he also feels them. He experiences them. And so he has acted and he delivered. And what should have been an indisputable act of God, gratefully received and gratefully remembered each and every day, his people instead turned their back against him. They made the golden calf. They grumbled against the Lord. They worshiped creation rather than creator. They lusted after sin. They debased themselves. They left the Lord. And verse 10 summarizes it. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. And therefore he turned himself to become their enemy. He fought against them. They had everything. God had given them absolutely everything they needed and so much more, and it wasn't enough. Their hearts continued to crave sin. They wanted to be their own gods, to answer to no one else. And so they gave themselves over to their own sins. And sure, it may have been maybe just a little bit here, a little bit there. It's no big deal, but it all eventually led to open and unashamed sin against the Lord God Almighty to the point where God becomes their enemy. And it might start the same with us. We might have the feeling, you know, God, he's, he's distant. Or maybe he's not real. He doesn't really care about each and every aspect of my life. He can't really do anything about this anyways. And, and if this little sin really bothers the Lord, then I don't want any part with that God anyway. He's too harsh for me. And the deflecting continues on. But now let's look at ourselves. We've been given Christ. We have Christmas to look back on. We've been given his Holy Spirit. He comes to us through his word, through sacrament. We have his word where we know his will. He's given to us brothers and sisters in Christ who encourage us in our walk with the Lord as well. And yet somehow we find ways to manufacture a narrative to portray ourselves as the victim rather than the culprit. As though God needs to bail us out each and every time because I didn't have a choice. I, I didn't turn my heart against the Lord. And we're foolish enough to buy it because it lets us have our way. It lets us to continue to get away with whatever it is that we want to do. And it feeds the lie that I'm really a good person. It feeds the lie as, as though we tell ourselves, you know, I am the greatest free agent out there. And, and if God wants me to be on his team, then let's talk signing bonus. Because I know all the signing bonuses that this world has to offer. And we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to. But I invite you again to consider the picture at the beginning of this chapter. The lone man coming, his clothes soaked with blood. The blood-soaked Savior slaughtering his enemies. And to take seriously what Isaiah says in verse 10, they grieved his Holy Spirit, therefore he turned himself to become their enemy. And he fought against them. We don't like that picture. I don't like that picture because it threatens me. It forces me to see the wretched man that I am, to see that even though God says, surely there is my son who will not deal falsely with me after all that I've done for him. And I say, yeah, God, it's not enough though, because I want this, and I want this and this and this. It calls out the apathy that just because of who I am or the experiences that I've had in my life, 
or who you are or whatever life experiences you've had, that we're good to go, that God owes us. It calls out spiritual laziness to fight the good fight. The perversity of sinful human nature infects us all, every one of us. We look at our lives and and we can say, yeah, we should know better, right? But just because we know better doesn't keep us from turning our hearts away from the Lord and giving into sin. We too turn against God when we think we can get away with it. And we don't, by the way. Our sin grieves the Lord. And God eventually turns and becomes our enemy. Isaiah continues his writing and he asks the question, Where are you, God? Where did this God go who delivered us in the past? Where is he who sent his Holy Spirit to us to live among us? Where is the one who gives us rest and and led his people? Where did he go? And the answer is given already. He turned against them and became their enemy. And what follows in Isaiah 63 and Isaiah 64 is a heartfelt confession of sin, an acknowledgement of guilt, not saying, God, you owe us, but a recognition that God has turned against us. God, where are you? And a realization that my sin, I've turned away from the Lord. My sin has caused this barrier. He says in Isaiah 64, beginning at verse 6, for all of us, have become like one who is unclean. All of us, he's including himself here. Isaiah, the prophet of God, includes himself. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. It's, it's our iniquities. We're not pointing to say, hey, the devil made me do it. No, this is our iniquities he turned us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the power of our iniquities. It's the same thing in Romans chapter 1. The people who are craving after their sin and God says, okay, have your sin. Have it your way. It's not going to go well for you. But I have tried to get your attention and you have continuously turned your back against me. So I'm handing you over to your own sin. Friends, we don't stand a chance. We have no hope. We've ruined it. We've been given the world and we blew it. We've consistently chosen our own idols over serving the living God. We have no righteous deeds to which we can cling. We have no purity that's needed to approach the throne of God. We have nothing. And so here we are. And we await the coming Savior where it will be our blood being spilt because that's what we deserve. We ask the question, oh God, where are you now? Where is this gracious God that we read about in the past, the one who has been promised to be here? Where is your grace when we've needed it the most? Where is your mercy? Where is your steadfast love that endures forever? Where is our hope and our salvation? And the realization of our hopelessness begins to permeate our own souls. And our minds, again, are drawn to reflect on the loving kindness of God that was promised so long ago. Our minds are turned to all of the gracious gifts of God that he has blessed us with, those gifts that we have squandered, to the inheritance that we've sold off for a meager taste of soup, just like Esau, to all the chances that the Lord has granted us to get it right and where we have again consistently failed we make mention of the loving kindnesses of the Lord. 
and the goodness of God toward the house of Israel, his compassion and his love. And we sit back and we say, God, I've been so foolish to give all of this up. We had it and we left it. Yet the goodness of God remains. And it's for this very reason that the Christ child comes to us. Christmas has happened. God took on flesh and dwelt among us where he became our savior. He came not to be our conqueror, but to become our brother, to become our savior, our deliverer, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and to take away our sin. He came to be trampled for us in our stead, to drink that full cup of the wrath of God, to be soaked in his own blood for you and for me. He came to take on our sin and all of its punishment to give to us his perfection. He came to call us out of our sin, out of our rebellion, to show us that, yes, the steadfast love of the Lord never ends. Do you see the blood stains on my robe? Do a DNA test and see that it is my blood shed for you. He comes to call us to repentance He came to give us the confidence to approach the throne of God in every time of need, to be our salvation, to save us from ourselves, to come and to send to us his Holy Spirit. Isaiah continues in chapter 62, verse 2. He says this, But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word, the word of the Lord to his people here, the word of the Lord to you. But to to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. This chapter ought to cause us to tremble at God's word, to tremble at the possibility of grieving the Holy Spirit, the possibility that there is a time, there may be a time where the Lord turns his back on us and says, you've had it all and now the time is done. I'm turning to become your enemy. It's meant to break us, to bring us to the end of ourselves and to drive us once again to the loving kindness of the Lord. We can declare along with the Apostle Paul, as he said in chapter 7 of Romans, as he too was a man who wrestled with sin and didn't understand why he continued to give into it. And he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Then he calls to mind again the loving kindness of the Lord, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God. But on the other hand, with with my flesh, the law of sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The season of Christmas continues on. Next week, the colors here will change. But the season of Christmas continues on in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives. In all of our failures, we see Christ in his perfection. We hear ter- his, this terrifying picture of God's wrath against his enemies, and we see the crucified Lamb of God. We see the wrath of God and what it is willing to do to his own Son. We see Christ beaten and bloodied for you and for me. And we need this reminder each and every day. And so once more, I shall make mention of the loving kindnesses of the Lord. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases and his mercies are new each morning. May this year be another year that we abandon ourselves 
to the grace of God in Christ Jesus. May it be another year where we turn our backs on, where we turn our backs on turning our backs on the Lord. And when those times come that we immediately turn around about face and come to the Lord who is standing there with arms wide open, saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for its truth. God, we thank you that your word doesn't cut any corners. It doesn't try to pamper us or give us an inflated view of ourselves, but it shows us who we are. Lord, as we look back at our lives, we have been given so many chances. We have given so, been given so many blessings. Lord, we have your word in its fullness. We have your spirit. We have your church. Lord, we have your bride here among us. You are here with us. And God, yet so often we turn our back on all of these gifts because we want, we want our own way instead. Forgive us, Lord. Help us again to go back to this picture, to remember the Savior who is coming with his robe soaked in blood, and to know, Lord, that you will slaughter your enemies, and to fear that, to tremble at your word. But God, help us also to never forget your loving kindnesses, to never forget that you are afflicted in all of our afflictions, that you have come to save us from ourselves, from our own sinful natures, Lord, that you have come to give us your perfection that we may boldly and confidently approach your throne in every time of need and find grace and mercy and help, not fear of judgment, not condemnation. And so, Jesus, we thank you for that. Help us to remember that and to boldly approach your throne each and every day. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.